morning and welcome to Bite Size. My name is Yoni Pollock and I am your host Wednesday mornings from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern right here on the Nahum Siegel Network. Anyone outside in this past, uh, what was it, Sunday? Sunday was, I believe the high was 90? How about that? Late in September, still some summer weather. Hopefully it's a sign of some warm weather, a warm winter here in New York. I was watching some video earlier today, and I saw some, uh, I don't even know what the video, where it was from, whatever, and and, uh, some video from like March about spring coming up, and there was like snow on the ground. I was like, oh, why don't I like turn off the video? I don't need to see snow now. It'll be here in like a few months. Just, Just let's watch summer as it continues to stay summer summer even though what's what's today's date 27th so i guess it's officially fall still summer though for me i was looking at the weather to see what's going to happen this coming yom kippur on shabbos and as of now at least on my weather app and and i promise you this is true if you go to like three people's weather apps on their iphone at the same time it'll have three different weathers so on my weather app as of this moment Shabbos is a high of 67, a low of 53, and I see some rain cloud as the uh, the picture. You know, on the on the weather app, it's either sunny, sunny with clouds, um, just clouds, clouds with rain, clouds with snow, the occasional wind gust. Now, over my years of studying this weather app, you can never a you can never trust the weather app. The weather app is always wrong. If it tells you it's sunny, it's probably raining outside, and vice versa. Um, but also, if it has like this rainy symbol by the day, sometimes it just means for like an hour or two it's raining. Pretty misleading if you ask me. So uh, we'll see what happens on Yom Kippur. But my guess, as long as, it, as long as it's like 67, if that's true, that'd be beautiful. Friday, it's supposed to be 72, low 55. That'd be gorgeous, especially if it's sunny all day. Um, but uh, most of y'all, I assume spend most of your day at least indoors on Yom Kippur. So probably largely irrelevant, but that walk to shul, if it's hot, could be tough on Yom Kippur. So uh, we'll see what happens. This week's episode, not much going on in terms of interview. I'm do. I I uh, I'm going to play for you like I did last week at about 10 a.m. at the top of the, at the beginning of the second hour on Bite Size. I, I, uh, last week we played a clip from Eric Thomas. Uh, it was one of those motivational, inspirational videos. Um, how bad do you want to succeed? And and I did not plan on really playing any video for you this week. But then on the train ride this morning, I also came across, uh, I think his name is Admiral, Admiral William H. McRaven, who gave the commencement speech at the University of Texas in 2014 with another similar yet brilliant message, at least I found. And, and admittedly, I'm a sucker for these videos, but um, it got to me, it reached to me. So I wanted to share it with the audience as we uh, just finish celebrating the new year, but we still have a pretty big judgment day coming up this Shabbos. So something to think about um, as your mind wandersly just, you know, ponders random thoughts. This is another one, but that'll come up about 10 a.m. or so, but as we usually do. And for this week, we'll play a lot of Yamim Naram music. I know a lot of people, and I get emails and, and comments, and I thank you for that, that generally like my, my upbeat and, and newer music. Uh, this week, we're going to just play, stick it to a little theme, Yom Noraim. I'll, I'll try to sprinkle in some of the newer stuff as well. Um, but that's not going to change how we start this program every week, every Wednesday. 
and we'll do so again this week. Mahapecha, Shel Simcha, you're tuned into Bite Size right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. שמעתי שעושים פה מסיבה בלעדיי אף אחד לא עושה את זה יותר טוב ממני hey, תשים את הצרות מאחוריי אני לא הולך עד שכולכם מג'נונים hey, שמעתי שהתחלתם בלעדיי אף אחד לא עושה את זה יותר טוב ממני hey, הראש כבר מסתובב כולם בהיי לא נעצור עד שכולכם מג'נונים Yeah, baby.
לעזור מלפני אבינו. אבינו שבשמיים, שתתמלא רחמים על החתן והכלה.
מלך, אנא מלך, אנא מלך מלכי המלכים, אנא מלך מלכי המלכים, הקדוש ברוך הוא אנא מלך, אנא מלך, אנא מלך, אנא מלך מלכי המלכים, אנא מלך מלכי המלכים, הקדוש ברוך הוא אנא
Vechamoi boreyun Oi vechamoi boreyun Uchuvo, usfilo, uzedavako Mavirin, mavirin, Yeah. <laughs> 
Is a journey, la la. 
שיעבוד עם המשמשים מסורה, על מנס לקבל פרס. אל תהיו כיעבוד עם המשמשים מסורה, על מנס לקבל פרס. אל תהיו כיעבוד עם המשמשים מסורה, על מנס לקבל פרס. אל תהיו כיעבוד עם המשמשים מסורה, על מנס לקבל פרס. לא יעבוד, לא יעבוד עוד עוד, לא יעבוד עוד עוד בספוילות, אלא אלא מאהבות, אלא מאהבות בלבוד. לא יעבוד, לא יעבוד עוד עוד, לא יעבוד עוד עוד בספוילות, על מנס לקבל פרס. אל תהיו כיעבוד עם המשמשים מסורה, על מנס לקבל פרס. אל תהיו כיעבוד עם המשמשים מסורה, על מנס לקבל פרס. אל תהיו כיעבוד עם המשמשים מסורה, על מנס לקבל פרס.
here on Bite Size and the Nachum Seal Network. And as I promised you earlier, uh, we're going to go with the uh, an- another video like we did last week, this time from the two- 2014 University of Tex- Texas. Excuse me, I should know that. Uh, commencement speech. It is William H. McRaven. That's Admiral. Admiral, excuse me. Whew. William H. McRaven with a, uh, a great message. Again, I-, I happened to come across it on my train ride in this morning. And I thought I'd share it with you all, with my listeners, with my audience. So here we go. Thank you for tuning into Bite Size right here on the Nahum Siegel Network. Basic SEAL training is six months 
of long, torturous runs in the soft sand, midnight swims in the cold water off San Diego, obstacle courses, unending calisthenics, days without sleep, and always being cold, wet, and miserable. It is six months of being constantly harassed by professionally trained warriors who seek to find the weak of mind and body and eliminate them from ever becoming a Navy SEAL. But the training also seeks to find those students who can lead in an environment of constant stress, chaos, failure, and hardships. To me, basic SEAL training was a lifetime of challenges crammed into six months. So here are the 10 lessons I learned from basic SEAL training that hopefully will be of value to you as you move forward in life. Every morning in SEAL training, my instructors, who at the time were all Vietnam veterans, would show up in my barracks room, and the first thing they'd do was inspect my bed. If you did it right, the corners would be square, the covers would be pulled tight, the pillow centered just under the headboard, and the extra blanket folded neatly at the foot of the rack. It was a simple task, mundane at best, but every morning we were required to make our bed to perfection. It seemed a little ridiculous at the time, particularly in light of the fact that we were aspiring to be real warriors, tough, battle-hardened SEALs. But the wisdom of this simple act has been proven to me many times over. If you make your bed every morning, you will have accomplished the first task of the day. It will give you a small sense of pride, and it will encourage you to do another task, and another, and another. And by the end of the day, that one task completed will have turned into many tasks completed. Making your bed will also reinforce the fact that the little things in life matter. If you can't do the little things right, you'll never be able to do the big things right. And if by chance you have a miserable day, you will come home to a bed that is made, <laughs> that you made. And a made bed gives you encouragement that tomorrow will be better. So if you want to change the world, start off by making your bed. During SEAL training the, students, during training, the students are all broken down into boat crews. Each crew is seven students, three on each side of a small rubber boat, and one coxswain to help guide the dinghy. Every day, your boat crew forms up on the beach and is instructed to get through the surf zone and paddle several miles down the coast. In the winter, the surf off San Diego can get to be eight to ten feet high, and it is exceedingly difficult to paddle through the plunging surf unless everyone digs in. Every paddle must be synchronized to the stroke count of the coxswain. Everyone must exert equal effort, or the boat will turn against the wave and be unceremoniously dumped back on the beach. For the boat to make it to its destination, everyone must paddle. You can't change the world alone. You will need some help. And to truly get from your starting point to your destination takes friends, colleagues, the goodwill of strangers, and a strong coxswain to guide you. If you want to change the world, find someone to help you paddle. Over a few weeks of difficult training, my SEAL class, which started with 150 men, was down to just 42. There were now six boat crews of seven men each. I was in the boat with the tall guys, but the best boat crew we had was made up of the little guys, the munchkin crew, we called them. No one was over five foot five. The munchkin boat crew had one American Indian, one African American, one Polish American, one Greek American, one Italian American, and two tough kids from the Midwest. They out paddled, outran, 
and outswam all the other boat crews. The big men in the other boat crews would always make good-natured fun of the tiny little flippers the munchkins put on their tiny little feet prior to every swim. But somehow these little guys from every corner of the nation and the world always had the last laugh, swimming faster than everyone and reaching the shore long before the rest of us. SEAL training was a great equalizer. Nothing mattered but your will to succeed, not your color, not your ethnic background, not your education, not your social status. If you want to change the world, measure a person by the size of their heart, not by the size of their flippers. Several times a week, the instructors would line up the class and do a uniform inspection. It was exceptionally thorough. Your hat had to be perfectly starched, your uniform immaculately pressed, your belt buckle shiny and void of any smudges. But it seemed that no matter how much effort you put into starching your hat or pressing your uniform or polishing your belt buckle, it just wasn't good enough. The instructors would find something wrong. For failing the uniform inspection, the student had to run, fully clothed, into the surf zone, then wet from head to toe, roll around on the beach until every part of your body was covered with sand. The effect was known as a sugar cookie. You stayed in the uniform the rest of the day, cold, wet, and sandy. There were many a student who just couldn't accept the fact that all their efforts were in vain, that no matter how hard they tried to get the uniform right, it went unappreciated. Those students didn't make it through training. Those students didn't understand the purpose of the drill. You were never going to succeed. You were never going to have a perfect uniform. The instructors weren't going to allow it. Sometimes, no matter how well you prepare, or how well you perform, you still end up as a sugar cookie. It's just the way life is sometimes. If you want to change the world, get over being a sugar cookie and keep moving forward. Every day during training, you were challenged with multiple physical events, long runs, long swims, obstacle courses, hours of calisthenics, something designed to test your mettle. Every event had standards, times you had to meet. If you failed to meet those times, those standards, your name was posted on a list, and at the end of the day, those on the list were invited to a circus. A circus was two hours of additional calisthenics designed to wear you down, to break your spirit, to force you to quit. No one wanted a circus. A circus meant that for that day, you didn't measure up. A circus meant more fatigue, and more fatigue meant that the following day would be more difficult and more circuses were likely. But at some time during SEAL training, Everyone, everyone made the circus list. But an interesting, an interesting thing happened to those who were constantly on the list. Over time, those students who did two hours of extra calisthenics got stronger and stronger. The pain of the circuses built inner strength and physical resiliency. Life is filled with circuses. You will fail. You will likely fail often. It will be painful. It will be discouraging. At times, it will test you to your very core. But if you, don't, if you want to change the world, don't be afraid of the circuses. At least twice a week, the trainees were required to run the obstacle course. The obstacle course contained 25 obstacles, including a 10-foot wall, a 30-foot cargo net, a barbed wire crawl, to name a few. But the most challenging obstacle was the slide for life. It had a three-level, 30-foot tower at one end, and a one-level tower at the other. In between was a 200-foot-long rope. 
you had to climb the three-tiered tower, and once at the top, you grabbed the rope, swung underneath the rope, and pulled yourself hand over hand until you got to the other end. The record for the obstacle course had stood for years when my class began in 1977. The record seemed unbeatable until one day a student decided to go down the slide for life head first. Instead of swinging his body underneath the rope and inching his way down, he bravely mounted the top of the rope and thrust himself forward. It was a dangerous move, seemingly foolish and fraught with risk. Failure could mean injury and being dropped from the course. Without hesitation, the student slid down the rope perilously fast. Instead of several minutes, it only took him half that time. And by the end of the course, he had broken the record. If you want to change the world, sometimes you have to slide down the obstacles head first. During the land warfare phase of training, the students are flown out to San Clemente Island, which lies off the coast of San Diego. The waters off San Clemente are a breeding ground for the great white sharks. To pass SEAL training, there are a series of long swims that must be completed. One is the night swim. Before the swim, the instructors joyfully brief the students on all the species of sharks that inhabit the waters off San Clemente. They assure you, however, that no student has ever been eaten by a shark, at least not that they can remember. But you are also taught that if a shark begins to circle your position, stand your ground. Do not swim away. Do not act afraid. And if the shark, hungry for a midnight snack, darts towards you, then summons up all your strength and punch him in the snout, and he will turn and swim away. There are a lot of sharks in the world. If you hope to complete the swim, you will have to deal with them. So if you want to change the world, don't back down from the sharks. As Navy SEALs, one of our jobs is to conduct underwater attacks against enemy shipping. We practice this technique ex extensively during training. The ship attack mission is where a pair of SEAL divers is dropped off outside an enemy harbor and then swims well over two miles underwater, using nothing but a depth gauge and a compass to get to the target. During the entire swim, even well below the surface, there is some light that comes through. It is comforting to know that there is open water above you. But as you approach the ship, which is tied to a pier, the light begins to fade. The steel structure of the ship blocks the moonlight. It blocks the surrounding street lamps. It blocks all ambient light. To be successful in your mission, you have to swim under the ship and find the keel, the center line, and the deepest part of the ship. This is your objective. But the keel is also the darkest part of the ship, where you cannot see your hand in front of your face, where the noise from the ship's machinery is deafening, and where it gets to be easily disoriented, and you can fail. Every SEAL knows that under the keel, at that darkest moment of the mission, is a time when you need to be calm, when you must be calm, when you must be composed, when all your tactical skills, your physical power, and your inner strength must be brought to bear. If you want to change the world, you must be your very best in the darkest moments. The ninth week of training is referred to as Hell Week. It is six days of no sleep, constant physical and mental harassment, and one special day at the Mud Flats. The Mud Flats are an area between San Diego and Tijuana where the water runs off 
and creates the Tijuana sloughs, a swampy patch of terrain where the mud will engulf you. It is on Wednesday of Hell Week that you paddle down to the mud flats and spend the next 15 hours trying to survive the freezing cold, the howling wind, and the incessant pressure to quit from the instructors. As the sun began to set that Wednesday evening, my training class, having committed some egregious infraction of the rules, was ordered into the mud. The mud consumed each man till there was nothing visible but our heads. The instructors told us we could leave the mud if only five men would quit. Only five men, just five men, and we could get out of the oppressive cold. Looking around the mud flat, it was apparent that some students were about to give up. It was still over eight hours till the sun came up. Eight more hours of bone-chilling cold. The chattering teeth and the shivering moans of the trainees were so loud, it was hard to hear anything. And then one voice began to echo through the night. One voice raised in song. The song was terribly out of tune, but sung with great enthusiasm. One voice became two, and two became three, and before long, everyone in the class was singing. The instructors threatened us with more time in the mud if we kept up the singing, but the singing persisted, and somehow the mud seemed a little warmer, and the wind a little tamer, and the dawn not so far away. If I have learned anything in my time traveling the world, it is the power of hope, the power of one person, a Washington, a Lincoln, King, Mandela, and even a young girl from Pakistan, Malala. One person can change the world by giving people hope. So if you want to change the world, start singing when you're up to your neck in mud. Finally, in SEAL training, there's a bell, a brass bell that hangs in the center of the compound for all the students to see. All you have to do to quit, all you have to do to quit is ring the bell. Ring the bell, and you no longer have to wake up at 5 o'clock. Ring the bell, and you no longer have to be in the freezing cold swims. Ring the bell, and you no longer have to do the runs, the obstacle course, the PT, and you no longer have to endure the hardships of training. All you have to do is ring the bell to get out. If you want to change the world, don't ever, ever ring the bell. To the class of 2014, you are moments away from graduating, moments away from beginning your journey through life, moments away from starting to change the world for the better. It will not be easy, but you are the class of 2014, the class that can affect the lives of 800 million people in the next century. Start each day with a task completed. Find someone to help you through life. Respect everyone. Know that life is not fair and that you will fail often. But if you take some risks, step up when the times are the toughest, face down the bullies, lift up the downtrodden, and never, ever give up. If you do these things, the next generation and the generations that follow will live in a world far better than the one we have today. And what started here will indeed have changed the world for the better. Thank you very much. Hook em horns. That was Admiral William H. McRaven at the University of Texas 2014 commencement uh, speech. And, and it, it's, you know, just, I guess happens to be. I was on the train looking through my Facebook and happened to come across it this morning. And I was just like, wow, I got to share that with my audience. Last week we shared the uh, Eric Thomas don't. Uh, how bad do you want it this, this week? Uh, by chance, 
the William H. McRaven speech. You can find it on YouTube. Uh, basically, with this, a similar message, don't ever give up. Don't ever, ever give up something to think about over the next few days as we get to Yom Kippur. More coming up on Bite Size on the Nahum Siegel Network.
Yes. 
בספר חיים, ברכה ושלום, ופרנסתו. באו גזרות טובות, ישועות ונחמות, נזכר וניקרתם לפניך. אנחנו בכל עמך בית ישראל חיים, טובים ולשלום. אנחנו בכל עמך בית ישראל חיים, טובים.
Just a deaf man in the stable, and to everyone's surprise, he comes to truly chop his hand, he prays with tear-filled eyes. His son, he is the chazan, though his voice he's never heard, but he sits there enjoying every Watches every motion, every gesture that he makes, and he stays till the very end, however long it takes. And when the davening is over, he's the first to reach his son, and the deaf man in the steeple says, "Well done." Now it's right before Yom Kippur in the steeple. They want to start for midrain, but the cars are still not there. Oh, the shul is filled with people as the night begins to fall. But the deaf man's chair stands empty by the wall. Then suddenly the chazan he comes rushing through the door. He's wearing his white chazan's hat he's never worn before. He pauses for a moment at his father's empty chair, and quietly he wipes away a tear. And he runs up to the bima, for there's no time left to wait. And half the shul can hear the rabbi ask, "How come so late?" Oh, just getting ready for Yom Kippur is all he'd say. But now I'm going up to pray. And when he finished davening, the rabbi asked to tell what was it he was thinking of that made him sing so well. Well, you knew my dad was deaf, he said. Last night he passed away. It's the first time that my father's heard me pray, and he takes his place around it by the holy Torah ring, and in a voice so beautiful, he begins to sing. Oh, every heart was broken, oh, and every soul burned bright. From his college raid at Yom Kippur night. Oh, every heart was broken. Oh, and every soul burned bright. From his college raid at Yom Kippur night.
On Bite Size, uh, just wrapping things up. There was one thing I forgot to mention in my open that I uh, thought was actually pretty cool and wanted to share with you in my open, but I'll share it with you now. Uh, For you game show fanatics, whether it is uh, Jeopardy, Wheel of Fortune, Price is Right, that's what I want to get to. There was a crazy episode of Price is Right this past, I don't know what it was, I, I saw the clip a few days ago, and, and it was shared on a Friday. So I assume it was over Rosh Hashanah. It was a crazy Price is Right episode. And for those of you that, that don't know the show, I apologize. I'll try to uh, make it simple for you. But there is a uh, a wheel that you spin where the final, where, where the three contestants, whatever, they spin a wheel, and whoever ends up with the highest amount from the wheel moves on to what's called the Showcase Showdown. On this wheel, there there's numbers from 5 to 100 in five whatever increments. And... Uh, if you get to a hundred, which is a dollar, or if you land on the dollar, you get ten thousand dollars. 
So what happens is the first person goes up, lands on the dollar. Okay. So they end up with $10,000. Now it's the second and third person turn. Basically, they have to reach a dollar or they're out and, and they don't get to the showcase showdown. And at the showcase showdown, you can win more prizes, et cetera. So second person goes, lands on, I forgot what the number was. Let's say, I think it was, it was uh, whatever, it was like 35 or something. So they had to get 65. Sure enough, next next spin, land on 65. They get to a dollar. Now two people are at a dollar. Crazy. So each person wins $10,000. Uh, Drew Carey, the host, he's kind of like going crazy already. All right, third person, like, can, can you make it a dollar? Like, you need a dollar to win. Lands on 85. All right, needs 15. Sure enough, spins, gets on 15. Crazy. All three people get a dollar. I My guess is for the first time in, in Price is Right history, like, that is unheard of. Especially, it wasn't like they landed on a dollar. They had to get the exact amount, 15, 85, 35, 65. Crazy. So Drew's going crazy. Each person wins $10,000. So now they all have to respin. And when you do is when you get the dollar, you respin. Now, if you get to the dollar amount or the two green amounts, which is five or fifteen, you also win a certain amount of money. If you get to the dollar amount, you get another twenty-five grand, so that's thirty-five grand in total, just there. Or if you get to the green amount, I think it's another five or ten grand, whatever it is. Person goes lands on the dollar. Crazy! This guy now, yeah, I think it's it's a man. He wins ten thousand dollars. Now wins twenty-five thousand dollars, and now in the lead to get to the showcase showdown. Now the woman spins, also lands on a dollar. Five straight dollar amounts, costing them $80,000 just right there. They didn't even get to the showcase showdown. Price is right, losing money on this episode for sure. And then the last person spins and uh, just gets to, I think, it just just makes it short, whatever. Um, but they had five straight dollars. Uh, not, I don't think, that the, the, then they had a respin again because they still need to break the tie. I don't think either of them got a dollar there. Um, but it, it's funny, Drew Carey go, like, asks the judges on the side or his producers, like, if they get a dollar here, do we give out more money? Like, unprecedented territory. They have no idea what the rule is here. I don't think that they've even established a rule. They're like, no, no, no. Um, but one of them wins. Crazy. Like, if, if you have a chance, check out, like, just, like, you have to feel happy for these people. Like, you come on the show. First of all, like, you're not picked to go on the show. You're just picked to get on the audience. You, you have no idea if you're going to be on the show once you get to the audience. And, uh, you know, you come into the day like, all right, let's see what happens. And then come out winning thousands of dollars. You have to feel great for these people. Uh, as a game show contestant myself, I certainly do. And I hope uh, I hope everyone else did. It, it, Price is Right is if I can make it back out to L.A., I got to get see if I could get back into my uh, game show contestant feel and uh, dominate some more game shows. Anyway, I thought y'all would enjoy that. And uh, that will do it for time of Rami's telling me he's got to get on the uh, – live launch so uh that will wrap things up here on bite size on the knockham seal network if you haven't yet downloaded the nsn app go to the google play store or your app store on the iphone follow us on facebook knockham seal network on twitter at knockham seal net instagram knockham seal network if you have noticed our instagram is picking up uh join in on the fun our stories our pictures we have a lot of guests we had ohad earlier today uh we had michael Przanski on monday so Check in on the fun. You got to see what's going on in the studio. Facebook Live has a lot of those interviews that we do in studio, including Ohad, including Michal Przanski. And uh, on Instagram, you could also find us there in Nahum Siegel Network. We do show you some sneak peeks of what goes on here at the network. Thank you for tuning in for the last two hours here with me. I'd like to wish you all, Gmar Chasimatova, an easy fast and remind you that the bite size is always the right size.